0: and welcome. I'm Steve Martoreno, and this is The Behavioral Corner. You're invited to hang with us as we discuss the ways we live today, the choices we make, the things we do, and how they affect our health and well-being. So you're on The Corner, The Behavioral Corner. Please hang around a while. Hey everybody, welcome again to The Behavioral Corner. Uh, I'm Steve Martoreno. I, I hang here on The Corner and I wait for interesting people to come by and then we hang. We hang on The Corner and we talk about stuff we uh, hope you'll find interesting and informative. What we deal with is uh, behavioral health issues. That's the biggest topic I could think of because it involves, well, this is a podcast about everything, the decisions we make, the choices uh, that we arrive at, and how it impacts our uh, physical, emotional, and psychological well-being. That's the behavioral corner. It's underwritten by our partners who treat behavioral health, and you're invited to hang with us On the corner, I begin by uh, pointing out something that I've often said on the show, and that is that if you have not been impacted personally in your life or known someone close to you who have had uh, a substance abuse disorder or, or gone through treatment and then recovery, then your impressions of that whole environment, that whole world, is probably formed by the media. In fact, I'm certain it is. And most powerfully, by Hollywood. We have an impression of what treatment is like, what addiction is like through mass media. And sometimes it's very accurate and dead on. Very often it uh, contributes to the myths, uh, misconceptions, and for many, many years, the silences that surrounded substance abuse disorder. So we thought we'd cut through all that Hollywood stuff and get to somebody who works theatrically, but in the uh, nonfiction arena. He's a documentary filmmaker. Documentary filmmakers are among my favorite people. Uh, when they do it right, they're just a great uh, service to us. Greg Williams is our guest on the Behavioral Corner. Greg is an award-winning uh, filmmaker, as I said, uh, in the documentary of filmmaking. He's done three very prominent feature-length documentaries about this, these topics, as well as uh, produced a couple of very uh, landmark uh, concerts that bring attention to this. Most notably, I guess, was the concert To Face Addiction, which took place in Washington uh was it 2015, Greg? Yep. Yeah, which brought together uh, uh, an absolute, you know, a list group of people from all walks of life, uh, certainly uh, musicians and and Hollywood types like that, that really, you know, brought this to the fore. So we welcome Greg Williams to the program so we can find out, you know, the skinny about this stuff and not the way Sandra Bullock has been trying to tell us it is. Greg, thanks for joining us on the corner. You know, I have an idea, and I'll bounce this off you before we get to your stuff. I'm thinking about putting together a film critique segment on the corner here where I get people who've been through substance abuse and recovery and we pick a a movie a month that deals with those subjects. And then I get them to say, "Okay, you're a film critic, but we're going to criticize this from the standpoint of is this a good movie or is this a bad movie about the topic? What's your impression about what. In general, has been pumped out through through hollywood and movies and television about the issue of substance abuse disorder is it been a net positive or a net negative
1: it's a big question thanks for having me steve um you know i i think it depends on um what you're looking at but but it, oh, by and large I, you know i have made the films and i've gotten involved in storytelling in this space because i've i've felt the need and a gap from the kinds of stories that that are out there and uh, you know, growing up you know if you looked at the word addiction um or told me about the word addiction you know in my teenage years i had one view of it right and and that was the same old kind of addiction story that that you know we see over and over and over in the interventions or the reality shows or or even in the scripted you know features you know, that said, I I do think we're starting to see uh, a new iteration uh, just in the recent years with some some different kinds of approaches, different kinds of storytelling around this topic. Um, no shortage of, of media on this issue because because it, it does impact everybody, and and we've seen a ton. But you know, in recent years, I can point to some examples of movies that I think have have tackled the issue from a deeper perspective, kind of getting under the surface of not just, you know, the character or the individual chose to be like that or or wants to be like that, but getting to some underlying, you know, causes and conditions and and to some hope. I mean, the two that jump out to me, if if you do do the the critique, I, you know, one film I think that hasn't gotten enough praise is, is a film called Honey Boy. Shiloh LaBeouf did a really nice job on his own journey. And there's a lot in there about Childhood trauma and his father and all of that, and and it's yep. it's it's really done well. And and then the other ones, you know, that I point to often is Chuck Lorre and his show, Mom. You know, did a really nice job as a sitcom. You know, with a mom who's in recovery and, and a daughter and who's in recovery, and they kind of Kristen Johnston, actually, who was in the Anonymous People, mm-hmm. joined the cast in the in the later seasons of that show. But they had seven or eight years as a running sitcom on CBS, and it was showing the recovery story. So. Those kinds of recent examples, I think, do a nice job at, at getting to a lot more of the nuance of the issue than uh, so many of the examples
0: out there. Yeah, there's been a sea change. I mean, there certainly has. So uh, we're a long way from every depiction of a substance abuser being a person of color uh, you know, staggering around or creating crimes. To something much much bigger so thanks for the two tips they're both great uh, let's let's begin with anonymous people talk about a myth exploder this was the story of the i think the i don't want to use dirty little secret but the little secret big secret actually that surrounded the issue of substance abuse that millions of people who get to help get better i know when i first heard about it and saw it uh, and we were doing this for a while i thought wow That's a story that's got to be told way more often because it all it had always looked so hopeless. What was the origins of anonymous people in your in your mind as a filmmaker? How did that come about?
1: You know, I didn't know I was gonna make documentary films. I went to media like I got into recovery at 17 and I and I went to school for media production and I landed in a documentary film class and and uh, I fell in love with the genre and you know the message of Good documentaries are about access and and your ability to access stories that people haven't heard or or been able to see before. And and because of my own lived experience, I was able to to kind of have this viewpoint and this point of view that there was other elements of the story not uh, yet told. And and I met some people uh, after five, probably four or five years in my recovery, who were really. Sensational individuals um, working on policy and advocacy, and and they taught me about how to, you know, civically engage using my story, but not uh, necessarily, um, you know, breaking any traditions of a twelve-step community, and and that had always been kind of the thing that that helped and still holds this side of the story back. You have content creators, you have policymakers, you have all these people in all different walks of life who don't think they can talk about their lived experience, you know, with recovery because they're taught to be anonymous. And unfortunately uh, not, you know, the case in in, in my viewpoint. and, And based on, you know, that film, that's kind of the issue that we unpack is not only the who's telling their story publicly, but also the why people are telling their story publicly and then the how they're doing it in a way that doesn't violate any traditions uh, or any game of telephone that's been told to to people for generations around what they can and cannot do if, if they belong to an anonymous program.
0: Well, prior to your documentary, Alcohol Anonymous was probably foremost in people's minds. If they didn't know how it worked, they certainly knew about it and it's in the name. Alcohol Anonymous, and it was a very strong tradition for decades, and it's broken down now. Most people I know who are in AA are forthright and ready to talk talk to you about it. Uh, they don't talk about, you know, the process or anything, but they talk about being a member of that. I think your documentary went a long way towards breaking down the resistance to that. Your great title, great story, and it needed to be told. I think your figure that you used in the film was 20 million people at that point were in long-term recovery is that right
1: yeah there's been a couple of surveys since but 23 and a half million is is typically the number that that we cite that you know one in 10 americans once had a problem with alcohol or other drugs and no longer does that might not match your definition of recovery but this is a big issue and it impacts a lot of people so Boiling it down to one single definition of, of recovery or your definition of recovery, you, you
0: know, uh, no, yeah, it you, goes beyond, it goes beyond that. It goes beyond what you did. You presented an, an opportunity for people to talk about it from policymakers to people who've been through it, uh, listing some of the shame burden, some of, as I said, myths and mis- misconceptions about this. I think it was a, a brilliant documentary. And,
1: and, and, I, and I do want to say like a lot of what we did in the film was just kind of Interview folks about their own history, uh, about the recovery movement. We go back to Marty Mann, we go back to Bill Wilson, and we go back to some of the founders of the 12-step movement in, in who reconciled with this issue for years before the traditions were even written. And then look at look at what how they behaved right in the 30s, 40s, 50s. Like what happened was you know anonymity got commingled with being synonymous to secrecy through the game of telephone over the years. And that's not what it ever was intended for. And that's not what it was um, or should be in the view of the folks in the film and in my view. You know. So people just have to understand that, that anonymity means something different than secrecy. We don't argue that anonymity should, should go by the wayside or that 12-step programs you know, don't need to necessarily be anonymous for what they do in the community. But individuals who participate in those programs don't need to be secret about their recovery. Absolutely. Uh, there's, a, there's a pretty bright line of the distinction there.
0: Now, again, it, it sort of demolishes the notion that there's a uh, equivalency between anonymity and something we don't talk about because it's shameful or difficult. Uh, so, so to that end, it's been, it, been a, it was a great, great positive. So tell me about Generation Found because I'm not familiar with Generation Found.
1: Uh, that was a film directed by Jeff Riley, who's, who, um, has been my partner and co-producing partner on, on all these feature projects. He's, uh, incredibly talented, um, feature storyteller. And so while I often get a lot of credit for these projects, Jeff probably deserves more than, than I do, um, in terms of the artistry of them. It was about a, um, recovery high school and in a community down in Houston, Texas, that developed a continuum of care for young people and how engaged the community was in connecting young people, not just in treatment or engaging them in treatment, but in a school based environment and how to support them long term. Um, and so it really looked at adolescence and the onset of, of addiction and, and the onset of recovery. And so We have unique access into um, these really sensational schools that that are popping up around the country. And we're able to tell a a really human interest story of the educators and the students themselves. Um, But it's it's a it's been a great film. And when we launched the film, um, there was something like, you know, 30 some odd of these schools in the country. And now there's over 60 and, and more in development. So we're really excited about individual willingness to to watch the film and then use the film in people's communities to to start more programs for young people.
0: Yeah, The beauty of it is, of course, it it highlights this notion of um, treatment as a process, not a single thing or 28 days someplace, but uh, an ongoing uh, process that, to coin a phrase, takes a village to accomplish. Is there a name of the program or... or, or Uh, discipline they're employing? Yeah. So, I mean, people could go to like
1: recoveryschools.org. Each school is in a local community governed by, you know, the local education board. Uh, But there is an association of recovery schools. So people could Google that, the association of recovery schools, and see where the schools are and and where they operate. Um, And they also partner a lot with the association of recovery and higher education, which, which brings together all the collegiate recovery programs across the country. Yeah. Um, we're really starting to see the, the revolution of, of those, um, uh, youth, youth focused programs. And I, and I will sure. say it's, 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 it's an interesting, uh, tie to anonymous people because what happened in anonymous people is we touch on this stuff for five to seven minutes in a 84 minute film or whatever. And, uh, after people wanted, they all wanted to talk about anonymity at first, after we talk about anonymity, they all jumped to like these recovery schools? Like, what are these things? And, yeah, exactly. and so it, it really drove Jeff and I to want to dive deeper into that story. And, and the in and the community of Houston invited us in. And, and so it's been kind of this organic journey of, you know, one film to the next one.
0: But certainly a long way from the D.A.R.E. program, which was probably yeah. the most uh, notable uh, in-school uh, anti-drug, anti-substance abuse uh, program. We're moving well past that. There's really been a, you know, because of the explosion of, in the problem with opioid abuse, there's been an explosion in information. And we're grateful to have someone like uh, like you here to give us good information about it. Greg Williams is our guest, as I said, award-winning filmmaker. We're going through a couple of uh, his films, the third of which, and most recent now, is something called Tipping the Pain Scale, uh, which we're going to talk a little bit uh, in terms of you guys are showing this around the country, and you're going to be showing it in our area where The Corner's produced in February. We'll find out about that ahead. Tell us about Tipping the Pain Scale.
1: Well, thank you. It's Yeah, we're excited to bring it to Allentown coming up on February 3rd. And it's a feature film, a character-driven feature film. It it just got finished in in 2021, and now we're gonna be bringing it around the country. It features um, some high-profile folks and also features uh, some folks working on the grassroots working on in unconventional ways or different kinds of ways to address this issue. So we have the former mayor of Boston, Marty Walsh, uh, who is now the United States Secretary of Labor. Uh, We have NFL Pro Bowl tight end Darren Waller, you know, in the film kind of telling his story on a different platform. The community outreach individual in Philadelphia, Roz Picardo, doing street outreach we we've got uh, Joseph Green, who's a, a spoken word artist and educator, who works with young people in, in the antithesis of the Dare program, of for individuals who who aren't not yet uh, struggling with addiction and and then um, you know so it's one thing to say you know you know the Dare program doesn't work it's another thing to point to what works or what could be instead of that and I think uh, Joseph really speaks to that in this film um, without. You know, saying that explicitly, but demonstrating to people what a different approach with young people could look like um, around uh, making healthy uh, choices, and and
0: then, uh, you know, what's astonishing about that, uh, we are light years away from just say no, and just say no. It's not something from the Middle Ages. It was thought to be perfectly obvious uh, and appropriate. And I guess uh, beneficial way of telling kids what to do: just say no. Um, wow, to where we are now, and there is an amazing—it's an amazing distance. You
1: know, I hope my eight-year-old son doesn't get taught that, but I, I don't hold out a ton of hope. Like it's—we uh, <laughs> still got a long way to go. I mean, there's a no, no, lot... You know
0: what I mean? That was no. That, I know. That was I, it. I, I know. That was it's,
1: it. it's, it's just it's, say no. Yeah. No, I, I I mean, people want like, that's, I mean, that's what tipping the pain scale is about, right? Like people want, you know, that easy solution. Oh, we're going to stop prescribing opioids or we're going to make all drugs legal or we're going to, you know, do the, and, and that's going to fit, or we're going to sue pharma. Like you, you don't take the addiction issue in America, boil it down to one policy, one practice and fix it. Like, look at the covid pandemic if we had a simple solution we would we would introduce it and it wouldn't be complicated and I, and i think that's where people have to start you know diabetes heart disease like these are complicated interconnected issues of chronic illness that relate to our environment our community our sociology our socioeconomic background the poison drug supply that we have, like all of these things. And, and, and we need to be able to have a, a nuanced conversation. And that's why Jeff and I love documentary film where we can, we can have that nuanced conversation over the course of 80 minutes with people um, or long, It's a little bit longer, but be able to unpack some of that nuance.
0: Yeah, nuance is the key here. I mean, well, you know, the funny thing about the difference between a theatrical film and a documentary film is that you know you, you have to fit fiction into a, a tidy little box and sort of make it make sense, and there's got to be a, a good guy and a bad guy and a conflict and then a resolution, and it seems so simple. And as you just described the problem, it is anything but simple. You know, I was struck watching the trailer tipping the pain scale with something one of the your people said. I want you to uh, comment on this. Her quote was, the, the physical pain crisis led to the... Um, opioid crisis she said that's the general consensus when it was the emotional pain crisis that led to the opioid crisis in that what did she mean by i think i know what she meant but this shows the size of the problem right well
1: it it shows that that's the that's 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 kind of the the goal of the title of the film and our artwork and Mm -hmm. and dr harrison uh who who is quoted there um, is really getting to the core of of what we're tackling in the film. It's like, you know, everyone got shown, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, you know, what's your level of pain? And, and we're going to fix it. We're going to put a Band-Aid on it. You know, what doctors weren't taught or required to do was talk to people about their emotional pain. And if they had in the 90s and the 2000s, in addition to their physical pain, they might have been a little less... Mm-hmm. Um, accepting to prescribe opioids because they would understand that like, well, while the, the opioid does work on the physical pain, there, if there's underlying stuff here. Like that's that's why alcohol works. That's why cocaine works. That's why marijuana works. You know, these things work for people who become addicted for a reason and there's underlying issues. And that's what the recovery journey is all about, right? Is is once we're removed from the substance of addiction, then then we can start to, to dig into those issues. And then the, uh, the flip side, what we cover in the film is, if there's no hope, if there's no compassion, if if there's just scorn and hatred, like, what do we expect people who are living on the street? What do we expect? Pe- like, how do, we, if we don't care about them, how do we expect them to care about themselves? By scorning other people, we just, we create a, a bigger problem.
0: We uh, just did a show uh, recently about harm reduction movement which I know is goes right to the heart of what you just said. There's a reason, I think this is correct, that the United States is the largest drug market on the planet. And a lot of those people take these drugs for legitimate reasons, but many, many others wind up with a problem. Naturally, you have to fight the immediate problem so you don't lose people, which we've been doing. But we've got to get around to better answering questions about, well, why is that? What's causing all the pain? Uh, and despair that would cause people to self-medicate and then wind up with a substance abuse disorder. And your work, you and your, your colleagues, go a long way. We have a great tradition in this country, and I'm, uh, I've made documentaries for television. Uh, I know how hard they are when they're done well, how they can actually make a change. And so you guys are doing great work in that regard. Powerful documentary can change things. Just most recently, we saw the movie uh, Ballyhooed, Don't Look Up. Uh, okay, a lot of Hollywood stars, a lot of hoopla. I don't know if it moved the needle much. I know a good documentary can. I've seen it over the years. Greg Williams is responsible for uh, many of them. We've been talking about a couple. We want to alert people in our area, and we'll have some information up on the site about the a screening that's going to take place in Allentown on February 3rd in conjunction with Greg and his people and our underwriters who treat behavioral health. We'll give you more information about that down the road. Greg, how do people, I mean, these are not the sort of films you you might stumble upon in your neighborhood theater. If people want to show these to youth groups or whomever, what do they have to do to find out more information?
1: Yeah, we'll list all our information. We're we're just launching community screening opportunities at tippingthepainscale.com tippingthepainscale.com and, and I appreciate that very much it's it is an independent film and, and this uh, it takes a community it takes a village to get it out there and, and we've been blessed with people who are working on these issues in, in their communities uh, wanting to have discussions so that's what we try and that's who we make these films for is, is for people to bring people together have a discussion talk about the nuance talk about how it relates in their community that's the 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 dedicated audience down the road later in the year we'll we'll get it on all the platforms you know for video on demand and people can watch it from home and whatnot but we want to make sure that that uh, community organizations and people have an opportunity to see it in their community and have a discussion and, and all of that you know prior to to people uh, experiencing the film you know by themselves mm-hmm. you No, know, to the point of a good documentary can change things it's i i i totally believe that uh, the challenge, right, is a good documentary experience by yourself in your home, I find powerful, but less impactful and less societal shifting than a good documentary experience with 60, 100, 200 people
0: in a community. No, oh, yeah, sure. You, you light a fire under a few people and see if they can change stuff. That's the best way. Are you working on anything uh, right now? Anything down the road that you can talk about documentary-wise?
1: Yeah. So Jeff and I have have just launched a new effort uh, called High Watch Media. And we we announced a, a, a film called Born to Serve that's in production around a tennis player. Jeff also, Jeff Riley is edited and produced uh, a bunch of 30 for 30. So this is like his world coming ah. together between recovery and tennis and, and sports. And so it, it's going to be a great film about Murphy Jensen and the Jensen brothers who who have a hero's journey on, on multiple levels. And then we're also working on a history series called Meccas of Recovery that should be out, you know, probably next year uh, at some point. So
0: good luck there. Uh, sounds exciting. Um, and thanks again for joining us on The Behavioral Corner. Retreat Behavioral Health has proudly been serving the community for over 10 years. Here at Retreat, we believe in the power of connection and quality care. We offer comprehensive, holistic and compassionate treatment from industry leading experts. Call 855-802-6600 or visit us at www.retreatbehavioralhealth.com to begin your journey today. That's it for now. And make us a habit, hanging out at the Behavioral Corner. And when we're not hanging, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, On the Behavioral Corner.